Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. We drill deep into an issue of the week, and today it's truck parking, which amazingly seems to be getting a little better. Chris Oliver of TruckerPath is going to be here to speak about it in just a few minutes. We also drill deep into the market and ecosystem for the thing that makes trucking and transport possible, and that's oil and what comes from it, diesel fuel. And because you need oil to make diesel and you need to drill to get oil, we call the program Drilling Deep. The last few weeks, we've talked a lot about the decline in the price of oil and the fact that rising U.S. oil production has been a key factor in that slide. But we can't forget the demand side, and this is a perfect time to talk about. That's because the monthly International Energy Agency report came out on Thursday of this week. It's a very closely watched report, and its forecast for oil consumption around the world in 2024 have been weak. And that's been a driving factor in the fall in prices. But let's look at some of the numbers, some of the numbers in the most recent report, without getting too overboard with them, because I know that listening to a lot of numbers can be rather confusing. Here's one number, though, that does kind of show what's going on. The IEA said that year on year, third quarter global petroleum demand rose 2.6 million barrels per day. That's between 2022 and 2023. In the fourth quarter, the growth dropped to 1.9 million barrels per day. That's a huge difference for just one quarter. That would be okay if you're an oil-producing nation if supply was going to slow as well. But the supply growth forecast for 2024, which we've talked about, are all higher than 1.1 million barrels per day. And that 1.1 million barrels per day is about is the estimate, roughly the estimate, the IEA has for global demand growth in 2024. If you're an oil exporter, this is a problem. The irony is that their latest demand forecast that came out in the, in the December report is actually up from the prior months. And you know why? Because the forecast for U.S. demand is higher, too. The U.S. is pushing down on the price with, its, with all of its new supply, but it is offsetting part of that, uh, part of that decline because of the, the, its economy continues to run fairly strong. So there is an expected rise in petroleum demand that goes along with that. And you know what one of the reasons is for the weak demand figure? Electric vehicles. And when I say electric vehicles, it isn't just cars. There's been a lot of focus recently on electric scooters because much of the third world transport itself, transports itself around on gasoline-powered scooters. A lot of the issues with car EVs like range anxiety on a 200-mile trip, they're obviously not a factor with a scooter that hauls people around a place like Mumbai. I've always felt that with the environmental discussion, while the environmental discussion on EVs focuses on internal combustion engines over time to meet climate goals, from the oil market perspective, even just cutting petroleum consumption 5% as a result of battery technology would throw the oil market into turmoil. But in a good way, as far as diesel consumers are concerned, 5% would be a little more than 5 million barrels per day. And look what's happening with oil prices now because demand is only going to grow by half the rate of last year. We're talking issues now of a few hundred thousand barrels per day of mismatch between supply and demand. The oil market is also in a degree of turmoil just because of that. Try to estimate the kind of turmoil we'd have if that cut was 5 million barrels a day, and a lot of it was happening because not just of electric cars, but electric scooters as well. The current estimates are that maybe a million barrels per day out of a global market of around 103 million barrels per day has been impacted by battery technology. 
And just that figure alone is getting attention. What if that 1 million barrels per day alone, well, what, what if that 1 million barrels per day became 5 million barrels per day? That is one of the reasons why oil producers have lost their grip on the market. A year ago, they seemed completely in control. For a lot of reasons, the man being one of them, that narrative has completely changed. Time to move on here now on Drilling Deep. You know, truck parking is an issue big enough that it has come before Congress with mixed results. But even as truck drivers wait for some sort of Washington-led effort to help them find a place to spend the night or do a, a short break, there are things going on on the ground level. And the, uh, the situation that seemed so dire a few years ago actually seems to show some signs of easing. TruckerPath is the all-purpose navigation app used by truckers for many of their needs. So that means that that usage generates a really good stream of data. And that data does include information about parking. Here to talk about the results of their kind of latest survey, latest aggregation of data at TruckerPath is the company's chief marketing officer, Chris Oliver. Welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. So looking at your data, it's easy to conclude things are getting better. Of course, then that leads to the possible alternate conclusion that things are getting better because there aren't as many trucks on the road. Though, quite frankly, to be honest, you know, when you look at our data on volume um, moving on the road, it's it's actually still there's a pretty decent amount of volume moving down there. That hasn't collapsed. I think that the kind of consensus in the industry is that uh, the, the, the slide in rates, et cetera, is more of a capacity issue, which means, you know, you're still moving a fair amount of freight. Why don't you kind of sum up what you found and, and, and talk about your methodology? Yeah, so let me, I'll start with the methodology because I think that's probably the, the foundation and easiest place to start. We've identified about 20,000 locations throughout the country where trucks can park legally and safely. And they're all geofenced. So anytime a user of the Trucker Path app breaks that geofence, we just ask them a simple question. Look around. Are there some spaces available? Are there many spaces available or is a lot full? Which kind of seems a little general or vanilla when you first hear it. But when you have a million active drivers contributing this information all the time, it becomes really reliable data. And what the user sees when they pull up on a parking location is, Two minutes ago, a fellow driver said there were a lot of spots available. That's pretty actionable. Uh, and the first time that happens and they, and they have a good experience, they're real happy to answer the question the next time we ask. So that perpetuates the, in, the input from the community, which makes the data more valuable. So that's how it all comes together. And what we do is we periodically just look at times of day, geographies, you know, where, where is parking available and not? And this most recent set of data was a comparison of um, just recently, this last quarter, relative to about this same time frame in 2021, which we know the world is crazy then. Uh, so that was a comparison we did. And we found, you know, simply stated that there are more spaces available today than the word we're reporting in 21. And now we're going to put some data up here. We're going to put a graphic up um, that shows uh, kind of a conclusion. What we don't want to do here is talk massive amounts of data because that could just overwhelm people. But uh, what you're looking at right now is... Uh, is the trucker path data on spaces available um, between 11 and 2 and uh, and also between 7 and 10. I guess, you know, you, you view these as the hours when a, a truck is most likely to pull in. And then down below that are where there are no spaces available. And, you know, you can see the significant difference there where things are definitely a lot better than between 2021 and 2023. 
Yeah, very much so. I mean, across the board, I was really surprised when we first pulled this data because you know we all know there's a parking issue and it's talked about frequently. And actually, had the guys do it again. <laughs> it, it was you know significantly improved, um, which is great. But I wanted to validate it, and we went actually through it several times. It's exactly what it showed was that you know relative to two years ago, um, there's more spaces available. Um, whether it be during the, the, the midday rush, you want to call it, or the evening, you know, time to go to bedtime, um, it's, it's, it's improved, which is a great story for the industry, right? It's a big, big issue looking for parking all the time. So to have more spaces available than need be is, is good for everyone. I'm going to do something now that I never do on Drilling Deep, which is put my glasses on because I need to be able to look at the data here. But, you know, when you look at some of these numbers, it, it, it just defies logic that some of these changes are just because of a slower freight market. When you look at spaces available in 2021 at night, 7 to 10 p.m., and you know the, the, the one with the loosest capacity was South Dakota, 33.1%, 33 and now you've got 69.7% kind of leading the pack out of Montana, same hour of the day, just a mere two, two, uh, mere two years later. A lot of that has to be because of additional parking capacity. That that can't just be a change in demand. Would you agree? I would I would agree. Yeah. A combination of things, <clears throat> both, you know, fewer trucks traveling, more spaces available, um, and a different user population today. You know, in twenty one we had a lot of rookie drivers, a lot of people entered the industry that were, didn't really know it as well, weren't the seasoned veterans. Uh, whereas, you know, I would like to believe, uh, especially since we've really not seen a huge dip in our user base that um, a lot of those seasoned guys that are still around today, that are around today, were around then. You know, they've weathered the storm, and um, they they understand the market a little bit better. But they know where the spots are a little bit better. So as a result, the data we get in terms of recordings are from people that are know what kind of know where to go to find the right spots. Does that make sense? I hope. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good point because it really kind of creates efficiency. Um, people, you're right. They they know where the spots are. Oh, there's a little space. You know, there's. There, there, there are 10 spaces that nobody knows about, you know, off of Interstate X. And uh, and so the, if, you, if you've been around a while, you're going to go to that. And that creates less demand than the people, all, you know, always going in to the same spots all, all, all the time. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right there that, that uh, with, with experience probably comes an easing of the, the crisis. Yeah, just planning ahead, understanding, you know, what you're going to be doing day to day, week to week versus I'm just in this because I'm making $4 a mile, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. So um, so talk about the Trucker Path app again. And you, you touched on it before, like how this data is generated. So uh, they don't have to answer it, but what else are they using the app for that would put them in position to know these kinds of things? Yeah. So the Trucker Path was born initially just to help drivers find truck stops. Uh, and after, as it, this was about almost 10 years ago now, uh, app is, as that started to catch hold, uh, they were really the kind of the secret sauce of trucker path was born because drivers started to call in or text in and ask about fuel prices. So, Hey, sure. It'd be nice if we had prices on these truck stops, which trucker path did and responded, but that really began the let's listen to this community of drivers and what they asked for. Let's give it to them. So they asked, started asking about parking locations and that's where that idea of geofencing came up. Um, another thing that, that came up about three years ago that we really started focusing on was shipping docks. Um, two things there. One being, where do I really need to go versus the front door, which is where most navigations engines will take you to the front door where trucks never go to the front door. And then also, what's it like there? So we started geofencing those 
to capture dwell time, to show them where they need to go. And then also ask questions like we do at the truck parking. You know, is there a gate? Do you need an appointment? Are there restrooms? Can you park there? Can you park overnight? You know, et cetera, et cetera. The things that impact the driver to dock. Um, and they see the information coming back and they feed the information. All way stations, for example, are all geofence just to understand when they're open and closed so they can be prepared to, to pull through and go through that process. So Trucker Path itself is really built upon the community asking us or suggesting points of interest or dots on that map that are impactful of their life and then giving them platform to review and rate them to help other drivers. And it just feeds and feeds and feeds to the tens of millions of data points we get every month from the drivers helping other drivers. So that's really kind of, in my opinion, the secret sauce of Trucker Path is that really active community. But to, to describe for me geofencing, are you installing like kind of Internet of Things hardware to determine this, uh, uh, to, to pick up a lot of data? I mean, is there actual physical Trucker Path installed uh, gear, uh, receiving gear on site at uh, shippers or truck stops? No, it's all digital. It's um, it's it's really like an imaginary fence you use using GPS coordinates on a map, and then we use the GPS, the geospatial data right from them from the tr the phones. You know, all of our phones have that GPS chip in it. So anytime the lat long of the phone is within that circle or square that we draw, the magical fence we draw, that's the geofence that gets popped, as I call it, that gets broken. And that triggers some type of action, which in our case, most of the time is to ask a question to the driver, you know, how are things looking? Of course, when the trucks stop and I'm in the driver. Now, I know that some providers of parking are actually putting kind of sensors in the, in the spots so they can say, well, our facility in, in, you know, in, 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 in town X um, has you know, 55 spots available because they weigh that there's you know, 45 other spots that are taken that their sensors can pick up that there's a truck actually in the spot. Yours is a little more general, but are you seeing a rise of that kind of, you know, real hardware-specific measurement of parking data? Yeah, yeah. Ours is, is definitely more general than that. Um, yeah, and absolutely. There's lots of options. There are sensors and spots, um, which is kind of the, I guess you'd call it the old school approach or the traditional approach. Um, and then in recent years, camera technology has improved so well that, you know, a, a few uh, cameras up on tall light poles around an area can not only you know, see the, the majority of the space, but also drill down to specific spots and understand if they're full or not and remove that data. So it's all over the place. Um, neither of those solutions are inexpensive. You know, they're, uh, so it's, they're a little bit prohibitive for just the general installations. Um, then we have private parking locations as well, which there's a lot of business models around that. Um, so I don't really think there's any one magical solution that's going to help us understand parking space availability and um, how to you know disseminate that information. What I do think is really important is that that information be available to consume and present by people like us, for example. You know, the, the real key, in my opinion, to fixing the parking problem is spreading the information and in there's definitely parking spaces available, but where and when and all that, that, that needs to be broadcast. And I've, I've said several times that, you know, as we continue to deploy sensors and cameras and other technologies, you know, that, that kind of clearinghouse approach of sharing the information um, with people like us and other vendors like us to, that can get it in front of the drivers when they need it, where they need it. So it's really going to be what's important to helping the problem. Let's. Um, so, are you able to access data like like cameras, that kind of thing, or are you completely dependent upon crowdsourcing here? 
Yeah, we're able to consume just about any type of data that's available. So, uh, and the, my apologies for, I can never remember the acronyms for the, the parking systems that are available, but we do tap into those the APIs and consume that data and utilize it and, and share it with the driver base. Okay. You know, looking over that data, we're going to put that slide up again for a second. Um, I want to, uh, I was I was looking at it and I was trying to find a common stream here. So Delaware and Connecticut replaced Washington and Maryland in the top five states with the least truck parking around noon, joining Massachusetts, New Jersey, and North Carolina, who remain. You know, when you look at that list, what you know, what's the common thread there? Interstate 95. It may be other things, but you can't look at a list like that and not think I-95 as a reason. And then another point that, that, uh, that you make here is Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas replaced North Carolina, Connecticut, and Delaware in the top five states with the least parking at night joining Massachusetts and West Virginia, and I don't see any link there at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, Tennessee and Kentucky, of course, are, yeah, I guess Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas are, you know, kind of adjacent to each other with several key interstates running through. You know, but then you've got Connecticut and Delaware. Well, that's, that's I-95, no real connection there to Tennessee and Kentucky. So uh, these two stats that, uh, that you guys have highlighted here, uh, you know, one shows a real correlation and the other really doesn't show much of a correlation at all yeah you're I, I i definitely agree with you like i said it was a little wonky when it first came out so we looked at it pretty closely you know, i-95 you know that's an obvious thing and the other thing is really population density you know the inverse is well of course there's not a lot going on in montana and north dakota there's a lot of open land there uh, but in all those other areas that we mentioned there's pretty dense populations in addition to major thoroughfares um, and then you got Tennessee, Kentucky, and Arkansas. You know, that's kind of the heart of the country, right? All all roads pass through there, or darn near all roads pass through there. So it kind of makes sense, but not nearly as obvious as that I-95. I definitely agree with you. I mean, when you read this, as, as I mentioned in my uh, earlier, that there are efforts in Congress, uh, our colleague John Gallagher has been writing about them. They're, they're mostly not really been all that successful yet to try to generate a federal role in creating parking. But when you look at something like this, and you know, I'm sure you studied parking beyond this, you just really feel like nobody's really waiting for the federal government to do anything, that there are efforts that are going on in the private sector. I know that you know, year after year, Loves announces early in January what their kind of capital expansion plans are for the year. And one of the things they say is how many trucks, uh, how many parking spots they're going to add in the coming year. And that number is almost always 3,000. Okay. And then I usually ask them at the end of the year, well, how did you do on adding your 3,000? And they were like, yeah, we're right around 3,000. I mean, like they say it and then they do it. Uh, so are you encouraged that you're seeing a lot of activity in the private sector to generate this? Is there, you get any kind of, is that a takeaway from these numbers at all, do you think? Yeah, it is. Um, it's, I, you know, I don't want to sound, get too political or ideological, but I don't really ever think it's super healthy to depend on the federal government to drive any initiative that, to fix an industry or help an industry. So I'm super encouraged by all the private investment and the different approaches, whether it be loves and the big chains, you know, buying up property and adding to their footprint. Um, little little companies, you know, mostly real estate investment companies are opening up pro chunks of property and putting fence and lighting up to make to help with the problem. And we we recently partnered with a company called Realize that has a really neat business model in that they're utilizing existing parking like it's stadiums. So not only is there a lot of open space and it's paved and it's lit and there's electric available on utilities and all things you need, but it's cool. You know, like 
Las Vegas Motor Speedway would be a pretty good place to park overnight versus some random lot in the middle of nowhere. So lots of different things. Uh, I think, like I said earlier, I think what's most important is that as these models grow, the amount of spaces that are available, they need to be communicated to drivers. And from a technology perspective, all of those those vendors and providers need to make sure that their data is available and consumable and presentable to large audiences to really help the problem. You can't put spaces everywhere, but you can let drivers know where they are very proactively to help make to help mitigate the issue. I am now fascinated with that that new company that's going to park trucks in stadiums. I mean, that is that seems so obvious. And how could you pass on that? You know, I I, I I'm, a, I'm a cyclist, and one of the rides I take down near the ocean goes past the parking lot for uh, the Jones Beach Concert Theater, which, of course, is only open in the summer because it's open air, which means you have this vast yeah. amount of parking that's sitting there uh, empty the whole winter. The problem is it's only accessible by a parkway, which trucks can't go on. So that's not going to solve it. But, you know, I, could, <laughs> I can't help but think about yeah. it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought what, it was any other, any other particular initiatives out there that, that you're finding interesting in the parking space? Um, no, I just really think the different business models, the different um, geographies, um, and you know, we're happy to supply data. We, we, we not only do we generate macro data like this to share and, and talk about and spur conversation, but we also work with with companies that do studies at the state level, local level, and even national level, and share more granular data with them to help you know, define the issue and help to fix it. So, you know, our position is kind of agnostic in that we want to participate and help to address the issue, but the best thing we can do is just share information. So as more spaces become available, more information is available, we want to be work with those partners to get the information in front of the drivers so they can take advantage of it. Well, I'm going to ask you as a journalist, you know, as, as I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but think that if you put this data out more often, instead of every two years, this could be like, I, you know, I mean, I'm like, I, I would say like put it out weekly almost. Because I think it's almost a pretty good indicator of the strength or strength of the freight market. I mean, one of many indicators. But uh, so journalists lobbying for more frequency of this data. Okay, Chris, how about that? Absolutely. I'm glad to hear you say that because we have that discussion internally. We don't want to beat you up with boring information. But if it's of interest, you know, I'd love to share it more frequently. And we will. Yeah, no, I, I could definitely. I, mean, I don't think I'd write about it every week, but I could tweet about it every week because I think it's a really good indicator. Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's let's uh, wrap things up by asking from your perspective, uh, what, how does the freight market look going into 2024? Uh, do you still do you agree with the prevailing wisdom or prevailing view now that it's uh, got a long way to go to really kind of shake its doldrums and excess capacity is a lot of the reason? I mean, if a lot of capacity is exiting the market, I'm assuming that you would be seeing that in your data because you know some independent operator who decided to put their vehicle on the fence, maybe they were a trucker path user and now they're not. Yeah, so I do tend to agree with kind of the prevailing thought. <clears throat> you know, things got really crazy on the positive side for a length of time, and for the market to come back to stasis, it's going to take a little bit longer than normal for that adjustment period. So, you know, you know, I don't think I'm the qualified to contradict you know any of the powers that be on what looks ahead. But I've not heard anybody say anything that I would openly disagree with. And um, <clears throat> as far as the capacity reduction. You know, I've been a little surprised in that the number of users that we have on Trucker Path, it's dipped a little bit. Um, was it about not even 10%? Was it about 8% um, in the last 18 months or so? 
Um, so it's gone down a little bit, but not a, not nearly as dramatically as one may have thought, um, which, like I was saying earlier, kind of leads me to believe that the, our users kind of know what they're doing. You know, they're not exactly coming and going quite as much as, as you see in market volatility as a whole. Um, so I, I feel good about that. But, you know, the adjustment continues. There's a lot of extra capacity that came in very quickly. Um, and it takes a while to recover from that. Yeah, I would think that somebody who didn't know what they were talking about might say, oh, trucker path, their, their business must be getting killed. If in this market, you're only down 8 to 10%, I mean, that's that's pretty small, uh, given everything that's going on, or given everything that's not yeah. going on. Yeah, it's, you know, it's my job to make that number big. So for me to be okay with it, it's got to be okay. <laughs> hey, we want to thank Chris Oliver. He is the chief marketing officer at Trucker Path, talking about what their data stream, their extensive data stream, is finding about truck parking. Chris, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Have a good one. You have been watching and listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. You can listen there. If you want to watch us, you'll have to watch us on YouTube. So if you're seeing us now, you are on YouTube. I've been your host, John Kingston. We got one more for the year, and uh, we hope that you'll join us again. <laughs>